Today we are uh, starting a new series, and um, if you've noticed in the past Sundays, I've been picking series based on topics, more of a topical study on certain things that I think would be relevant, but also helpful for the congregation. Well, today I, I decided one of the tough things of, of, of coming up with a sermon is always coming up with a new topic. After you're done with that series, you've got to think, well, what else can they hear? What else can they hear that I haven't already done already? And so it becomes kind of stressful. And so kind of to relieve the stress, but also to kind of engage a little bit more in the Word of God uh, more consistently, I've decided to look at the book of 1 Corinthians and maybe even 2 Corinthians, but looking at 1 Corinthians. So what I want to do starting today is give you an introduction to the book of 1 Corinthians. And what we're going to do in the following weeks is we're going to actually look and preach through this book. And so you kind of know what to expect every week. And we're going to go through this book. And I want to do a couple things today. I want to give you a, a reason for why I think or why I chose this book. I think it's very relevant for us. You see, this book was written by the Apostle Paul. Most of you already know that. And it was written to a church in the city of Corinth. Okay? And there's some things that you've got to understand about this city, Corinth. Paul planted this church there around 49 AD. And this city, I think he was being very strategic. And he didn't just plant a church in any place he thought was available. I think he was very strategic. I think this city was strategically located. It was the capital of its own province. Its location was particularly in what we know as modern Greece and right in the middle. It's separated where there's a body of water. So there was a major trade center going on in this city uh, because of its location. Uh, boats and, and shipping and trading was going on. So you can imagine Corinth was a place where it was thriving. The city was thriving. It was growing. There was commerce. There was wealth. And so just like any city with that kind of potential, it attracted people from all over the world. Corinth was a very cosmopolitan city. And in this little city, you had various cultures, different kinds of cultures, different kinds of religions, and a extreme diverse group of people that you had in the city. But like any major city that we know, it also had its share of issues. Economically, the rich were really rich in the city, but the poor were very, very poor. The city, in fact, became quickly known for its immorality, particularly for its sexual immorality. Some people call this whole city a giant red light district. That's how bad they thought it was. In fact, it was so bad at one point that they used the name of the city, Corinth, and turned it into a verb, Corinthianize, to become a synonym for perversity. So if you're Corinthianizing, you're like doing what Corinth does. That's how bad this city became. In any case, as you can imagine, if you lived in a city like this, you just can't help but be influenced by the thinking and the practices and even the temptations of the surrounding culture or even ethos of the day. You would at least be confronted it on a day-to-day -day basis. You know, I, I, I went to the University of Michigan for the first two years of my college, and I met a, a friend. He was a Korean brother, but he was from Ohio. And apparently, there are a lot of Koreans in Ohio. And he was telling me, he was asking me about, you know, New York and the East Coast, and, and uh, he was always complaining, like, you know, I, I, I need a girlfriend. I need a girlfriend. Can you, can you set me up with someone? And so, sure, I, I know a lot of people, a lot of good people, and they're from the city. They live in New York. I could set you up. And immediately his first reaction was this. Ooh, not New York. What kind of people are from New York? I, no, I need a good, wholesome girl. 
you know, I don't need anyone from the city. And so this guy grew up in Ohio, Bowling Green, Ohio, and this is his image of New York City. And so in a sense, we can relate because the city is right across the bridge. Many of us work in the city. Uh, you know what it's like. But nevertheless, in the city of Corinth, if you read Acts chapter 18, this place was where the Apostle Paul wanted to plant a church. In this city, he wanted to plant a church, and he did. With the help of a couple named Priscilla and Aquila, he spent a year and a half building this church in this city. And then he left, and he went to Ephesus, and he started ministering there. And as he was in Ephesus for about three years, during this time, he heard, probably through letters, that things back in Corinth, the church that he started a while ago, was struggling. They were struggling with temptations. They were struggling with their culture. Uh, they were struggling with divisions. They were struggling with certain kinds of teaching. They had issues with certain sins. And so the church overall was struggling. So Paul, uh, probably back in Ephesus, is writing this letter, 1 Corinthians, back to this church that he had planted to address them of these things, address them of some of those issues. And it's a very relevant book if you look through the book of 1 Corinthians because many of the issues that they're going through that the Christians in Corinth were facing are also in the church today. It's also in the church today. And what we'll see today is that as the Paul addresses them, he wants to address them and give them a few things. And I think in the very few verses that Lisa just read, I think it summarizes the whole letter. In four things, okay? This is just an introduction. It'll be a relatively shorter sermon than usual, but four things in this beginning of Paul's letter. First, there's authority. He talks about authority. Second, there's identity. There's a theme of identity. Third, there's an activity. There's a theme of activity. And last but not least, there's unity. Four things in these few verses that lay out the whole chapter or the whole book of 1 Corinthians, themes throughout the whole book or the whole letter, four things, authority, identity, activity, and unity. So let's look at this. Where do I get this from? Well, look at verse 1. Paul is writing in the style of an ancient uh, Greco-Roman world. And when you wrote letters like this, you begin with the author. And that's what he does in verse 1. He says, Paul. It's saying, this is who's writing to you. This is who's writing to you. And then, of course, you offer a word of greeting, right? He gives them a greeting. But because of what he's going to say and what he's going to write about, he's, right, he's anticipating this question. Because of what he knows he has to address to this church, some difficult things, he anticipates the question for them. Why should we listen to you, Paul? Who are you to tell us how to live or how to behave? And so right from the very beginning in verse 1, in the opening sentence, Paul doesn't just give his name, he gives his credentials. Verse 1 literally says, Paul called an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God. By the will of God. And then there's this other brother with him, Sosthenes, who's with him. Sosthenes is the brother Right? But Paul is the apostle by the will of God. That's the title, that's the introduction that he gives with them. Paul is the apostle, this guy Sosthenes, who is probably writing the words as Paul's speaking them, is still the brother. And that tells you something, that if Sosthenes just wrote this letter, the people might not listen. But when Paul speaks, it's a different matter entirely. Why? Because he says he's an apostle. Now what's an apostle? It literally means messenger. Messenger. 
right? But when you read Ephesians chapter 2.20, it's the few messengers, the ear and eye witnesses of Jesus Christ that builds the foundation of the church. If that's true, it means that Paul has authority. Like a parent has authority over children. Like certain state governments or officials have a, uh, an authority over its constituents. What does it mean to have authority? You should know this as a parent, if you're a parent, or if you're a boss, or if you're an employee. What does that mean to have authority? It means two things. One, you should listen to that person. But secondly, and this is the important thing, that person deserves to be obeyed. To listen and obey. And Paul, with authority, he's going to tell this church, this is who God is. This is what he's done. This is who you are. And this is what God has done to you and for you. And now this is how you should live. So authority here is important. Now, it's not a popular word, authority. We live more in a lesson of an egalitarian context where sometimes for some people authority is a dirty word. And that's why he needs to defend himself. It's going to be a theme that he talks about. Paul's words are not the same as an email you got from a friend. Paul's words and message here is not the same as something you got from a self-help folk. Paul is an apostle, which means he's the messenger of Jesus Christ by the will of God. So when you read 1 Corinthians, it means this. Every word, not just coming from Paul, but coming from God himself in Jesus Christ, for whose message Paul is the inspired author. Okay? So that's what he wanted to do, get it out of the way, and he's going to go back to this later on in the letter. The second thing we see here as an introduction is this. Not only is there a theme of authorship or authority, there's an issue of identity. Look at, look at verse 2. To the church of God that is in Corinth. Notice this. He doesn't write to the church in Corinth. He writes to the church of God that's in Corinth. That means here, the word church literally means an assembly, and there are a lot of assemblies in Corinth. There are a lot of groups that were meeting in Corinth. But this has the distinction of belonging to God. It's not the church of Paul. It's not the church of the Corinthians. It's not the church of its leadership or its members or the culture. It's the church that belongs to God, yet in Corinth. It's of God, yet in the city, in the world, right? Now, what makes it the church of God? Well, what does it look like? How do you distinguish it from other groups and other organizations? And you're told there in verse 2, it's made up of those sanctified in Christ Jesus called to be saints. Sanctified and saint. They are two similar words with the same root word. A saint is someone who is sanctified. What does that mean? It means, the word simply means you've been set apart. You've been consecrated. You've been devoted to God. If you ever make a reservation uh, for a table at a restaurant, sometimes they'll put a sign there at that table that says reserved. You know what that means? That nobody else could sit there because it's yours. You made the reservation. It, it belongs to you. And that's what Paul is saying here. He's giving us a kind of identity to this church. He says we are reserved. We are set aside for him. We've been dedicated to God. We've been consecrated to him. This is an identity issue. <clears throat> and how did this happen? How did you get consecrated to Jesus? Well, in Christ, by faith in Christ, you've been set apart. Jesus is the Holy One, and in him, now you've been made holy too. And how did this happen? You've been called to be saints. Literally, called saints. You're called saints. You are called saints 
By who? God. Through his word, through faith, through preaching, through the gospel. You're called saint. Listen carefully. I know we've talked about this many times before, but this is so important in this letter and for the apostle Paul. You know, you grew up and people call you a lot of different names when you're a kid, right? Kids can be kind of mean to each other. But oftentimes we say this, like sticks and stones may break my bones, but words may never hurt, right? But God calling you something is different. Our words have one effect, but in Genesis chapter 1, his words create. When he calls out, let there be, let there be, things happen. Things create, things come out of nothing. And he's calling this group of people saints. Here's why this is amazing. Here's why this is ridiculous. If you were in Corinth and you were looking to go to a church, you would never go to this church. You would hear about the kind of people that go to this church. You would hear about the stuff they will go through. You would never even want to visit this church. You wouldn't even think it is a church. What kind of people go and do things the way they do in this church? This church, the people were a mess. They were fighting. They were holding grudges. They were kind of looking down on each other. They were sinning like crazy. They were sleeping around. They were dabbling in weird pagan rituals and teaching. They were a mess. They were doing everything conceivably evil that a church could do. And look at the way Paul opens up this letter to them. He says to them, you are saints. You are sanctified in Christ. By the will of God because of Jesus Christ. I want you to think about this for a minute, right? We look at each other and we kind of know what we do. We hear about what other people do. And you kind of wonder what kind of person would do or say something like this. You know yourself that you've grown up or you've done things that you know you shouldn't do. And yet you go to church, you feel like a hypocrite. You look at yourself in the mirror and you might wonder, I'm not really a Christian. But here's what he's saying. God is saying, I've called you a saint. A saint. Now, a saint here doesn't mean, you know, that you're holy and perfect every way. It means you've been set apart for him, reserved for him. You belong to him. It's an identity that Paul starts off with. This is who you are. And there's a very clear difference between who you are before God and how you live. Between your standing and your actual behavior. And this is the problem with us, and this is the problem with the church in Corinth. Because sometimes our behavior doesn't match our position. Sometimes kings don't act like kings in the Bible. Sometimes presidents don't act like presidents. Sometimes leaders just don't always act like leaders, and teachers don't act like teachers. Sometimes preachers don't act like preachers, and sometimes Christians just don't act like Christians all the time. But Paul wants these people to know, by addressing this church, he says, you are saints, sanctified, set apart for him. And as such, they were positionally holy, but they just weren't acting like it. Before God, they were absolutely righteous because of Jesus Christ, but they just weren't living up to it. So this is where Paul begins. So when Paul begins the letter to them, he takes the first nine verses to tell them that they're saints and tell them what that means. Friends, this is so important for us to understand. Um, let, me, let me give you another illustration of what I mean. Most of you know that I have a sister. She lives in Florida. You know, we, we have a rocky relationship. and She's doing well out there, but, you know, I, I don't talk to her too much. But I remember growing up in high school with her. And uh, 
and not not to not to not to like I guess you know trash my sister, but uh, she went to the mall with her friends, and we got a call from from the security at the mall, and, and apparently she had got caught shoplifting. <laughs> so. <laughs> You know, I, I think it's funny, but I don't know. She got caught shoplifting in high school. I mean, it, it was in Tom's River, New Jersey. The only mall there is an Ocean County Mall. There's nothing to steal there. I mean, it's, this is Macy's. What are you going to shoplift in Macy's? I don't know, but she, 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 she shoplifted some underwear. And, 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 I, and the whole time I heard this, I'm giggling. My parents were so upset because they were so embarrassed, but they were so upset. They had to go down and pick her up, right? And they took me with them. Yeah, I'm just sitting in the back. I'm just, I can't wait to see what happens, right? I just can't wait. And, 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 and uh, you know, my, my dad's like, you know, typical Korean guy. You know, he's just very serious and face turned red. He's embarrassed and he's angry and upset. And so I told him, I said, Dad, now is the time to disown daughter. <laughs> now, now is the time. I, I, I almost said it in a serious voice, but I said, Dad, now is the time to kick her out of the house. Now is the time. She's not a good. She's not good. She's not good. we got to disown her. And he turned around in the car, and he yelled at me. He said, don't ever talk like this. Because she's still my daughter. She's still my daughter. She doesn't act like her daughter, but she's still my daughter. That's what he's saying. This is the identity that we're working here with when it comes to God. You look in the mirror, and sometimes you don't feel like a Christian. You don't act like a Christian. You've done some terrible things, right? But you still trust in Christ. What that means is this. God says, you are still my son. You are still my daughter. And so Paul is trying to tell this church, as he opens it up in this introduction, he's going to get into a lot more later on. He's saying, it's time to start being who you really are. It's time to start living like God has called you to do. Like he's called you a son and daughter. So look like one. Act like one. Okay? Authority, identity. Now quickly, the two last things are basically an outwork of the identity. There's an activity. What do saints do? There's an identity. They're called saints, but there's an activity. Look at verse 2. They call upon the name of the Lord. Now when he says call upon the name of the Lord, he's not talking about occasional praying. But this is an activity, a feature of the saint who makes up this church for all of life. In other words, to call upon the name of the Lord is figurative. It means this, that you are always calling on him. You are always living in him. You are always clinging to him. You're, you're always depending on him. This is an activity that saints do. It's an activity of dependence, that you are always leaning on him. This is how saints live. Their stance, their leaning, their resting, their calling on Christ in every situation and every circumstance. This is what Christians do. And I wonder if we do the same. Can that be said of us? What happens when, you fear, when fear strikes you? What do you do? Is it your instinct to turn to God? What happens? What do you do when you start feeling anxious? Is your first option to lean on Christ? What do you do when you're angry or when you're sad? Do you long for him? Is that your first response? Are you living dependently on him? That's the activity of these saints. That's what they do, okay? That's an identity that's lived out. You're calling on the name of the Lord, trusting in him. And last but not least, there's unity, all right? We are the 
people of God or people of Christ. That's your identity. You call upon the name of the Lord. That's your activity, dependent activity. And how do you do that? Verse 2, together. Together with all those in every place who call on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. He's talking about unity. You've got to understand this. If you're sanctified, set apart for God, and you're in Christ, it has vertical implications. Your relationship with God makes a difference. But it also has horizontal implications, right? That we do it together. Vertically, we call on the Lord, but horizontally, we do it together. We are one. This is what he's saying. These two things always go together. There are some divisive issues in this church. And Paul is saying, that's incompatible. That's incompatible with people who are calling on the name of the Lord. They do this together. And this is something that our church needs to wrestle with. Even a small church like ours. Are there divisions in this group? Are there things that divide us in this group? As small as it is. That's incompatible. How do you be divisive in your group and then come on church on Sundays and all call upon the name of the Lord? It, it, It doesn't make sense. But this is what we do. And so he's going to address some of the divisions in this church, right? They had a problem with authority. They confused about their identity. They lacked dependent activity. They struggled in their unity. This is their struggle. And these things don't sound far removed from the church today. In fact, very, very relevant. Now let me put this together for you. In this introduction, authority, identity, activity, unity. This is what he means. Biblical authority produces gospel identity. The authority of the gospel produces your identity. We are in Christ, set apart. That identity leads to dependent activity. You ought to now cling to Christ for that. Trust in him always. And that activity has a profound spiritual unity. You do this not just alone, but you do it together as you live out your Christian life in the community. Biblical authority produces identity, creates this activity, which you do together. This is what Paul is trying to say. This is probably the whole theme of 1 Corinthians, right? If you never come to church after this, you got it right here, okay? That's what it means. That's what the church of God is and Corinth needs to be. That's what sojourner is and also needs to be and resolve to be who they really are. Called by the authority of God, you are no longer defined by your sin and failure. They just trip you over, but you still belong to him. Trust in him together as a community. Okay? Let's pray.